Welcome to the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast, where it's all about realizing and managing embedded projects with know-how, brain power, drive, and passion. I am Georg Lohrer, and I will be your host during this episode. Today's episode is about... Um, no, 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 that's, that's not good. That's definitely not good. Mm, let's start with a new version here. Welcome to Mastering Embedded Systems. I am Georg Lohrer. Mastering Embedded Systems brings together what is needed to succeed in embedded systems projects. Imagine a mixture of worthwhile information, different know-how, tons of expertise and tough lessons into one program. This podcast brings you the tools and know-how previously only available to really high performers. I may not have all the, uh, the answers, but I do have a lot of the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with Mastering Embedded Systems to get some great free content. Do not miss details by signing up for the newsletter at embeddedsuccess.com. And if you like what you hear in the episode, hang out with me on the show notes where we can get really in-depth on somebody's topics. Yeah, that's the new intro and the new music. It lasted some episodes, but I could draw the conclusion what I have to change some things. First, the music. My intention was and is to provide an intensive but dedicated podcast. But it should not be under pressure or heavyweighted. And as a first step, I have now changed the music. Second, I have to admit something, I'm not good in carving off the solid. I mean, I'm excellent in changing, adapting or modifying existing things, therefore fault handling, fault processing or management is perfect. But I do have my problems starting out of nothing. I'm nobody for playing alone in an empty sandbox. I need some steps forward, achieving feedback and then starting to adapt the existing things. That's exactly what I have done now. After the first five or six episodes, now with that episode, things change because they might have to be adopted. Don't be astonished if there will be other changes within the next episodes. I was told that it lasts roughly until the 15th episode until one has found his voice and structure. So hopefully I will not have to change much more, but currently it was exactly like that. So, but now... What's up for today? Today we are talking about task forcing, the Swiss army knife of project work. I'll give you my task forcing 101, show you the pros and cons, and give you my experience for your successful outcome with task forces. So enjoy this episode. Where does the term come from, task forcing? Initially or originally, the term came into extensive use by the United States Navy somewhere around 1941 as a way to increase operational flexibility. 
the Navy fleet was organized in divisions and squadrons. A task force was the way to assemble ships from different divisions and squadrons without requiring some kind of formal or permanent fleet reorganization. And afterwards, after the, the goal has been completed or the operation has been fulfilled, they could be easily dissolved. What does it mean today? So task forcing is used as a more or less common term. Task forcing is, or the task force, that's regularly a small group. Yeah, we have something like four to 12 guys joining meetings, doing things together. We have, all of them have regularly specific set of skills. And as a major, as a very high valuated goal, there is a short term task. So regularly task forces are short term tasks. Task force only exists for a specific time limited purpose. For example, it lasts a few days, sometimes up to one year, it depends on, but limited. The members of the task force regularly come from different parts of an organization. We combine various functional units or divisions. We have different levels, so you find the regular line staff, you find also management. And the individuals are selected for their expertise, their history in the organization, or their interest in the project. A task force enhances the project's chance for success because it brings together different skills and ideas. Very often this is essentially needed. It becomes the project's advocates within the organization. The task force squelches rumors about the project. If the project's come into stuck state or something like that, then... And it foresees potential hurdles for implementation and build solutions up to the recommendation of the task force. That's the rough definition or short clarification. What about you guys? Do you have any experience with task forces? For sure you do. I heavily assume that. Uh, have you ever been yourself joining one of these or leading one of the task forces? How do you have become into contact with task forces? I would be glad hearing from you. For a quick response, use the comments on the show notes on uh, embeddedsuccess.com episode 06. So embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 06. The major question is, of course, when do we use a task force? Hmm. There are several indicators. A regular and very good indicator is that the project itself is confronted with a complex or thorny issue. So that means, for example, you have highly sophisticated failures of the product and you need something to be done. And it cannot be done with the regular ways of operation. Or you have special customer problems. We need dedicated attention. Or the project outcome is endangered in some way. Or you have any kind of extraordinary action like preparation for an exhibition, field tests, similar or similar problems within a high with high business impact. Um, the other reason when a 
task force is established are, for example, the solution requires an organizational change. If the organization itself needs to be changed, it's regularly not that easy to do that from one particular perspective. So not only one group engaged could organize that, but regularly uh, members of different groups are engaged together in, in a kind of task force and we are dedicated to plan and potentially also to introduce the organizational change. And if the company or the organization runs into problem, establishing a task force very often um, creases the organizational wheels. So it means at the moment or the moment you have different perspectives involved, you you combine them more easily. You get suddenly you get aware of what's going on in the different parts of the organization, what are their perspective and what could be done. Task forces are especially valuable if their outcome impacts people deeply or emotionally, or, or it impacts a large part of the organization. So regularly, big-size big reorganizations impact persons either directly, therefore most likely deeply, or and emotionally. Because we have to change our job, the roles are changed, the, the organizational habit, maybe also the face of the company is changing. And then establishing or running a task force might be a good way to do it. If we now know when a task force will be established, it might be of some interest to know when or how do task forces stumble or are there any critical pitfalls they might fall into? Yes, there are. Some of them. One of the first ones is, the task force is only a word, so it's not clear what it really means. As, as, as mentioned in the intro, it's already some kind of Swiss army knife and uh, everybody is saying, hey, yeah, let's run the task force, that's the best way to do it. But there might be not even some kind of charter how the task force needs to be run and how the what are the details and the goals. This must be clarified beforehand and it must be agreed. A second pitfall that come up here is that the task force members are not made to do the work. So we are either not enhanced to do it or we are the wrong persons to do it or we are not allowed to do it. So we have some kind of uh, resource planning that you don't get the persons for the task force because we are not freed, we are not available due to some other things. You have prioritization, you have urgency, you have importance. All that thing belongs together, so it might be a challenge. And we also fall about that one. So it does not matter to have a, a group of persons sitting together to have to run a task force and then saying, yeah, okay, that's, uh, but we don't have the right guys inside. And the third one, and from my perspective, the even or the most worst one is that task forces are too often established. At the moment, you do something 
that often it loses its exciting. Uh, it, it's, does, it's no longer exciting. It's, it uh, loses its crispiness uh, or its dedicated flavor or however you will name that. It's no longer it's no longer a surprise. It, 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 it would be like something like every day is Christmas Day. So you get your gifts and lately after one week or two weeks, it becomes regularly and you are no longer surprised. And therefore it, gets, it, it loses its peak here. This is for me what I have seen rather often that many things are simply taken as, uh, as, as task forces. And then suddenly you end up with five to 10 task forces per day. So that's, of course, uh, not possible to manage at all. You should imagine that task forces are the strongest kind of team. I mean, if a task force is well set up and has uh, good guys inside, you have great chances for rapid progress. You have best heads inside. You have a good chance for a successful outcome and therefore giving the project a major push. It has, of course, also a big disadvantage. Task forces regularly distracts people from regular work. We are no longer engaged in that because we have to do other things. And it consumes a lot of company engine energy. Yeah, if you, if you use your most important, your best guys, your best persons, your best engineers for doing one and only dedicated issue, we are no longer available for other things. And it's across all hierarchies. So you have to, everybody has to spend his time for that one. That's a big challenge for task forces. Very often, task forces as some kind of strongest kind of teams are, let's say, Dennis Locke has in his, in his book, Naked Project Management, has made a sentence, our project is sick, sent for a doctor. And this is exactly what I observe regularly often. So some, something goes wrong in the project and the, the first thing that comes up into the mind, yeah, let's establish a task force. Uh, but guys, that's, that's not the, the best way to do it. So very often the structures must be adapted. Perhaps establishing a task force might be appropriate to modify or to adapt the structures and processes to overcome such kind of temporary problems. So it's a sword. The task force is a sword which might become unsharpened quite quickly if it's used too often or on the wrong kind of problems. It's like if you try to, to hit a stone in two parts with your sword, it will, of course, end up unsharpened. On the other side, of course, as mentioned, the task force is one of the best ways to succeed in huge problems. So if you come into rough water, if you face complex or thorny issues, the task force might be the only way to succeed and to exit that problem. Okay, so what's your experience with setting up a task force? Where do you have observed the different reasons? What are the different reasons for uh, setting up a task force? Do you think that task forces are really valuable? Do you want to agree or disagree with me about that, with my statements? Let me hear your opinion. 
please comment on the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 06. Let's come back to this, what I have mentioned before, this task force charter. Uh, what's, what's that about? How should that look like? So very often this kind of charter is done only verbally. So it's something like um, during the introduction or the invitation, it's mentioned what's going on. So, but the task force charter should hold details about the purpose and objectives of the task force. It should clarify the roles and responsibilities. It should also clarify who is involved into the task force. So project managers, top management, consultants, regular line staff, specialists, engineers, testers, whatsoever. And there should be a list of tasks and expected work products. And very often forgotten, but Absolutely essential is the overall task force timeline. When do we expect the final results? When do we expect intermediate results? How should they look like? And the resources which will be made available have to be mentioned also. So when you get aware of what's going on there, who are the guys who are inside? So that's the task force charter. Now let's have a preview onto the next episodes. As, as you have already remarked, this kind of task force talk is something which is not that satisfying at the very end because you need something what to do. But the topic itself is that lengthy. I would have to talk either two hours in a row, so and it's hardly to understand for anybody and also not possible to make notes and that stuff. Therefore, I have I have decided to split it up in several several episodes, and this is the entrance episode, and you will get here the 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 basic details or the the, the generals about this kind of task forcing, and the further steps are shown in the consecutive episodes afterwards. So we will come up. Don't be afraid. We will come. First, the I have five tips for you if you want to make a successful task force. So let's start with the first tip. The first tip is simply stand out. I mean, give your task force a significant name, not a name like TF or task force. Because if your company, if your organization is a little bit bigger, there is a good chance that there will be more than one task force. And then the guys should know which task force we are looking for. So give your task force a valuable and right name. That was the first tip. Second tip, start small. Don't invite gold and the world for your initial task force. Start small. It cannot distinguish what and it cannot yeah, evaluate it in a first step what small means. It depends on your problem. It depends on your task. It, depend, it depends on your goal of the task force. But you can decide what is really small for me. So at least one person is too small and potentially 20 persons is too big. So somewhere in between it will be. Or more or less, as, as mentioned before, it's 12 will be as, my, as I have experienced, 12 is an absolute maximum. 
they, seldomly I have experienced that there are more than 10 persons in a task force meeting. You don't need the guys. You know a special knowledge. You need some expertise. You need some particular roles. You need some decision makers. Very often the task force members changed over the time, but more than four to eight regularly not. So first tip, stand out. Second tip, start small. Third tip, do operations on a schedule. There is nothing more worse than starting a task force and nobody knows when it will, when it will happen. Nobody knows what is the schedule. There must be some regular meeting. Let the people prepare for that. Yeah? Let the people collect their ideas and come an understanding. And this kind of schedule gives the structure for them. Well, very often it's done like that. Task force, we meet every day at half past nine. That's good. For only half an hour or one hour. Depends on the topic again. But give the operations a schedule. It must not be every day. It depends on the topic and the overall timeline. But we need to know when it's going on. So we have the first tip, stand out. Second, start small. Third, do operation on a schedule. And now the fourth tip, it's create and enforce rules. Okay, besides the fact that rules are something sometimes really cumbersome, it's mm, without them, you will not succeed. It's about actions that we are done. It's about uh, the, the, the time which is uh, achieved or must be kept or other tasks which should be fulfilled or presence in the meeting. These are the rules and it will be the task of the task force leader to enforce these rules with, yeah, with uh, escalation to management, whatsoever, if it's not possible to achieve the rules so that they are fulfilled. This is something you really need to, um, to consider. So stand out, first tip, start small, second tip, do operations on a schedule, third tip, create and enforce rules, fourth tip, and now the fifth and last tip, be a cheerful leader. If you are in charge for a task force leading, I don't want to say make jokes, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it, it's something like that. Sometimes it's essential to have a laugh. It relaxes. Also the guys. And not a laugh about the person, but together with the persons, about some jokes. It could be about the, the work you have done, about the challenges, about the mistakes you have done. But be, be cautious, yeah? If you use mistakes as the reason for a good laugh, then only use your own mistakes. Or you have a good contact to the guy you are doing the, uh, the, the laugh at, then you can do that too. But never ever do it with guys you are not that familiar. And also not with guys you might have a different culture If you are mixing culture and assume that your laugh is the same as the other ones, you might be horribly wrong and you bring a bad attitude in the meeting. But also that one could be overcome. Politeness, respect, yeah, happiness, non-offensiveness. That makes the work easier and much more comfortable. So we have 
as five tips how to make a successful task force. First tip, stand out. Second tip, start small. Third tip, do operations on a schedule. Fourth tip, create and enforce rules. Fifth tip, be a cheerful leader. So these are the topics for today, for the task force general things. There will be two or three next episodes. One will be about launching a task force. How to select participants, achieve significance, get the expertise you need, achieve acquaintance and get the proper availability. That will be one episode. When the next episode will be about running a task force. What are the goals of the task force? How are we have to be defined? What are smart goals? How do I have to prepare an agenda? How do I summarize the available information and how do I classify or categorize them? For me, this is the, the running the task force is the, that's the major part, definitely. You can, you can succeed or fail horribly, yeah? And succeed with glory. But it heavily depends on how you're running the task force. And sooner or later, anybody of you who is more engaged into his work will come to the point that he is yeah, picked out of the crowd and assigned to lead a task force. It has nothing to do with, with, uh, with a line managing function or something like that, but it's a temporary leadership. And then you should be prepared I will have, um, for the, especially for the, for the first episode I mentioned of the launching a task force, you will get a template with all these things inside. You can simply use that. Now, for running a task force, there will be no template. It's a personal habit. You need to know. It's experience also. But don't be afraid. Yeah, with the tip number five mentioned before, be a chief or leader, you end up most likely very good. If you keep the goal in mind, and achieve the progress, of course. And then I will have also for the task forces aftermath, there will be the necessity or there is a dedicated need that you get the results out of the task force in a way that the task force members get that as a history and as an action item list. And on the other side, for the task force managers or the task force creators, that's regularly the management, we need to know what's going on. Thus, you see, that will be the further progress here. After this general episode, we have a few other episodes. They will not necessarily be in the consecutive order. I will have some other episodes inside, in between, uh, to, do, to, to not overstress with this topic. Okay, but now I would love to hear from you what's your experience with these task forces. Keeping that in mind, what I have just mentioned, what kind of challenges do you have observed within task forcing? Or do you have a habit or usage that I didn't list it here? Or do you want to agree or disagree with me about these approaches? I do appreciate your reply. Please use the comments in the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 06. Also send me your feedback for future episodes of the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. You can ask questions, 
Send me suggestions about things you'd like me to cover in Mastering Embedded Systems. Just give me an email, feedback at embeddedsuccess.com or a Twitter message. Or give me a phone call. That's the new one here on plus four nine seven seven three five six three six nine five seven eight. All details, you don't have to note it down now. All details available on embeddedsuccess.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please send me a rating at iTunes or Stitcher to raise this podcast in popularity. Or forward this podcast to your buddies. We might have looked for this kind of information for already a long time. That's it for the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast for today. I am Georg Lohrer. Thank you so much for joining my podcast. Please remember this podcast is about managing your embedded projects. I am back next time with another great episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. Thank you for joining me.